0: Cambridge Muslim College, training the next generation of Muslim thinkers. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. We're moving through our meditation on selected jewels from Surah to Zumar. We've seen that one of the major motifs of the Surah is the crippled state of the person whose heart is veiled from seeing the one behind the many. With verse 29, we now return to this theme from a different perspective. And again, the book presents its argument as a question. ضَرَبَ اللَّهُ مَثَلًا رَجُلًا فِيهِ شُرَكَاءُ مُتَشَاكِسُونَ وَرَجُلًا سَلَمًا لِرَجُلُ هَلْ يَسْتَوِيَانِ مَثَلًا أَلْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ بَلْ أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ This means Allah strikes this simile, a man who has for his masters several partners in conflict among themselves and a man dedicated completely to one man. Are they equal? Praises for Allah, but most of them do not know. Imam Waini, our tafsir guide on this journey, tells us that the verse has an outward and an inward meaning. Outwardly, it's about the difference between a man devoted to several gods, contrasted with a man who worships one lord alone. In addition to this, inwardly it denotes a man who serves several masters in his heart, namely his passions and cravings, which, as the Imam puts it, boil up in his chest. This person is then contrasted with a man who properly governs all of his desires and submits only to the one God. Are they equal? Unfortunately, most of humanity remains ignorant of this most fundamental distinction between human beings. This tragedy of what we've called multiple Qibla syndrome is the plague which causes all human misery and plunges our lives and the Ummah and the world into disharmony. Those who remember the one and make dhikr are not equal to those who see only the many endlessly and meaninglessly clashing. Listen to these great lines of poetry by Hakim Sanai. Those unable to grieve or to speak their love or to be grateful, those who can't remember God as the source of everything might be described as a vacant wind or a cold anvil or a group of frightened old people. Say the name, Moisten your tongue with praise, and be the spring ground waking. Let your mouth be given its gold-yellow stamen like the wild roses. As you fill with wisdom, and your heart with love, there's no more thirst. There's only an unselfed patience waiting on the door sill, a silence which doesn't listen to advice from people passing in the street. The Qur'an continues... فَمَنْ كَذَبَ عَلَى اللَّهِ وَكَذَّبَ بِالصِّدْقِ إِذْ So who is more unjust than he who lies about God and denies what is true when it comes to him? Is there not in hell a home for those who cover the truth? Here we're given two further questions, both of them rhetorical. And again, we note the deep meaning of human ethical choices. Henry Bayman reminds us that there are seven hells, just as there are seven wubiqat, deadly sins. This is what he writes. No matter what or who one is, or how true one may appear to be, these are the characteristics that lie close to a person's heart if he or she does not acknowledge goodness, beauty and truth. It makes no difference if one never raises one's head from prostration, being human and being a Muslim are both possible only by relying on truth. Islam cannot be attained by following the lead of one's caprice, by being carried away by one's ego, by exhibitionism or by fishing for other people's praise. One will then have opened the gates of the seven hells, pride, rebellion and downfall. And now on to another famous verse. <laughs> Is Allah not enough for his slave? A question, again, and a rhetorical one. The argument has forced its way through our objections again and again by asking us from different angles what we really believe. At depth, we believe in the one. It's multiplicity that's strange and unlikely. And so, if the one is all and all, ever-present, powerful and all-knowing, if the one prevails in every second, in every moment of each atom, if indeed time is not the continuum we imagine it to be, but a succession of snapshots of what God is doing in every instant, then of course it's absurd and illogical to rely on the shadows rather than on the light, the fragments rather than the unity which engendered them. Is Allah not enough for his slave? To be his slave is to say, Hasbi Allah, Allah is enough for me. There is deep sanity in this. In fact, to find sufficiency in shadows is the basis of insanity. What are the shadows after all without the light? So why rely on them or trust them? But this verse is not finished. They threaten you with those that are less than himself, and whoever God leads astray, no guide has he. In other words, the Holy Prophet is being threatened by his enemies who warn him of all the worldly outcomes of his apparently unwise actions against them. They think in terms of cause and effect, treating the world as a kind of billiard table. Why should one not live fearfully in such a world? But Allah is enough for his slave. And because he is a slave, he can see the triviality, the illusory nature of everything as it is in itself, rather than as it is in God. So do not fear, is the message. This turns out to be another meaning of the fasting month. We fear and groan when our edible treats are put away. So much suffering, we tell ourselves, so extreme an imposition. And I'm working so hard and yet not even one cup of coffee, a Snickers bar. The lower self screams its outrage. We hear it screaming away throughout the month. But the prophetic status within us is inviting us to something more noble. Trust in Him. Sabar will find its reward. Be detached and taste in your detachment something aristocratic, something princely. You are no dog or pig looking around for the next morsel. Now you are closer to the angels. There is a barrier between you and Dunya. Junda, a protection, as the Hadith says. Stand up straight as you walk. Engage with other people in their humanity. Lunch is abolished. Walk through the streets with your feet above the ground. You are detached, uplifted. You are tasting freedom, iqlaq. I like the poem Abdullah Dudj Sutherland wrote about this. It's from the volume of poems he wrote during Ramadan, one poem each day, plus another ten in Shawwal, a forty in Arba'in. Listen to how he describes the fast of the Holy Prophet, for whom God really was enough. You, teacher and guide, stay in seclusion the last ten days of that interval to intensify the silencing as though you are again in the cave, each Ramadan, restoring what so easily can be covered with dust. You, Najeeullah, restrain earthly pursuits, in patient quietude, respectful, attend during the night prayers, between the fast before and the fast to come. Listen to the voice you heard in darkness, the compellers. You affirm for us a time, a space in time, when we can recognise beyond the absence of food and drink a superior disappearance, a vanishing of all wrongful desires, our pride and selfishness. You prescribe a hearing, a taste, a chance to gaze at Allah's gifts of forgiveness and spiritual delight, the hopes of watching destiny's new moon appear. Sutherland's poem reminds us of the Holy Prophet's style of activism, which was successful because it was rooted in the spirit of detachment. So much would change in the world as the result of his decisions, as he prayed in the oasis city which was surrounded by wild tribes intent on his destruction. Yet he was a man at peace. God was enough for him. Allah <laughs> wa ni'mal wakil. In our times also, we need this wisdom. The Islamophobia of Abu Lahab and Abu Jahl has not gone away, and we are dismayed. But the Tawheed so brightly expounded in Surah Zu'mar should heal our worried hearts. It tells the Holy Prophet to say this. In If Allah wishes misfortune for me, can they hold back his harm? Or if he wishes grace for me, can they withhold his grace? This is the question we need to ask of the powers of this world, the Trumps, the Netanyahu's, the Modis, and all the envious haters. And so the verse concludes, of course. <laughs> say, God is enough for me. Upon Him do the reliant place their trust. So, this is God's advice on how to deal with persecution and hate. Trust in Him. They have no answer to that and no remedy. And he has still more advice. Listen to this. Inna anzalna alik alkitab alindasi bilhaqqo, faman haddaf alinafsihi, waman dhlaf inna ma yadhlu alayha, wama ant alayhim biwaqil. We have sent down the book upon you for mankind in truth. So whoever is guided does so for himself and whoever strays does so against himself. You are not in charge over them. This is for the Holy Prophet himself in his times of hardship and threat and siege. But it is for us as well, eminently. Let us relax. Guidance is what matters. The misguided are just punishing themselves. The blessing of faith and certainty and salvation have been taken from them and we are ultimately not answerable for what they do. God alone is the judge. God is the guide and the turner of hearts. We really need to remember this. I like the story of Werner Klawan, leading member of the far-right National Democratic Party in Germany. Having berated Muslims at every opportunity, this anti-immigration demagogue decided to read the Qur'an, and Allah al-Hadi opened his heart. Now he's called Ibrahim, he campaigns for immigration rights, and has fostered four Syrian refugee children into his family. Yes, Allah is the turner of hearts, and Tawheed is powerful. We need to remember this, everything is under control. Remember the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which had printed on its front cover the famous words, Don't panic. The Quran, you might say, is also a guide, showing us how to navigate the universe, and it has a similar motto. May Allah accept your fasting and make faith glow bright in your hearts. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.